Welcome to Slate's I Have to Ask. I'm Isaac Chotner. My guest today is Otessa Moshvet, the author and short story writer whose new book is called My Year of Rest and Relaxation. It's a story of a 24-year-old woman in New York in the year 2000 whose feelings of despair and depression lead her to try to essentially sleep for an entire year via drugs and a very unorthodox psychiatrist. The book shares certain themes with her prior work, including her 2015 novel, Eileen, which was shortlisted for the Booker Prize. This novel is strange and darkly funny, and I wanted to have Moshved, who grew up in Massachusetts with a Croatian mother and Iranian father, on to talk about it and her career. As The New Yorker recently wrote, Otessa Moshveg is easily the most interesting contemporary writer on the subject of being alive when being alive feels terrible. Otessa Moshveg joins me now in studio in Berkeley, which is a very rare occurrence for this podcast, but this is a, a special occasion. Hi, Otessa. Hi. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And thanks for coming into the studio. Yeah, it was it was a fun ride. Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a journey to get here. Um, so, for people who don't know you or your work, can you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, where you're from and how you got into writing? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I grew up in Massachusetts, and before I realized I was a writer, I was a pianist, and then, um, but this was like I was an adolescent. Um, so like that was what I was doing before I was writing was um, playing piano, and um, I don't know what else do you want to know about my background. Well, tell what what did your parents do? Because um, plays into music, I guess. Yeah, my parents are both musicians. My dad's a violinist and a teacher, and my mother's a violist, and she teaches violin and viola. So I've heard other writers. I think it was a quote from Ian McEwan say that an appreciation for music was helpful in writing fiction and just writing prose. Is that something that you found too? I know I read that you learned how to read music before you learned how to read English, mm-hmm. or or not just English, anything. Yeah, um, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I, yes, I think so. I mean, I think we all learn how to talk before we learn how to write, right? So r- language is principally. Um, auditory, vocal. Um, It's something we say, and it's something we hear. And music functions in the same way. So um, understanding music or having, not even just, it's not understanding. It's not like I understood music. It's I had a sensibility and sensitivity to music um, from a young age as a language of sound that translated into my understanding of the way language works and, and its subtleties and its phrasing. When you write in, you know, when you write a short story or you're working on a novel, do you kind of read it out loud? And is that kind of the sound of it? The, I don't want to say texture, that's not the right word, but kind of the ups and downs of a sentence, mm-hmm. is that important to you? Uh, it, it's really important to me, yeah. And I used to read out loud a lot more than I do now. I, I think I've got maybe just either got sick of the sound of my own voice but or or just have developed a secondary voice that I can hear inside my head pretty cl- clearly um but I also really like reading um out loud in front of audiences it's fun for me um and it makes me see that like gives gives me a certain distance from what I've done because I can hear it in a voice that isn't the voice inside my head, even though it's still my voice. It's I'm I'm performing, so it's always fun. Do you do the audio versions of your books? No, I have never done that. No interest? 
Um, I, 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 it's not that I'm not interested in doing it. I haven't been asked, and I have never considered asking if they, if I could do it. So you got to be aggressive about these things. You just have to beg them to do it. Or, but it's a lot of time in a in a small room, right? Yeah, it's like this actually. I <laughs> it's think. like exactly it's, like yeah, this. It goes except... much longer. It goes on much longer than this. Yeah. Um, is music still important to you? Um, is it? Yeah, it's still it's still important to me, but unfortunately, I don't really listen to as much music as I as I used to. Yeah. So when did you first, when was your first short story that you wrote, fictional short story? I remember writing my first short story when I was 14. Yeah. And what was it about? It was about a person who knocks on her neighbor's door and kills him. Because he was playing the TV too loud. Was this uh, based on a true story? As no. The, no. <laughs> no. I, I think I can remember the first few lines. It was something like, I killed a man today. He was, he was fat and ugly and deserved to die. Mm. So, um, yeah, that, that was it. I... Uh, <laughs> I You'd probably get in trouble for writing that now at 14. You know, if you turn that into a teacher, someone would report you to, you know, like the police. Or... What are they going to do to me? Well, nothing would actually happen to you. But, you know, you hear all these stories now that a kid said that he had some, you know, and now because everyone's scared about violence, not uh-huh. un- not ununderstandably. But I don't know if they would do that to me because I'm a girl, though. Oh, that's true. That's true. I didn't uh, I didn't think about that angle of it. But uh, OK, so you wrote that. And then when did you was there a time that you sort of conceived as like, maybe I could do this for a living, maybe writing short stories or novels is how I'm going to make my career? Yeah, that occurred to me when I was about 32. Okay. (laughs) After I understood that I was writing and had been writing for, you know, almost 20 years. Um, And that's when I wrote Eileen. Which came out in 2015, I guess. 2015, yeah. Yeah, so 32, this was like four years ago. Yes. Okay. And so what were some of the things you did before before then? Like, what? how did I make money? Yeah, how did you make money? Um... In high school, I babysat. In college, I worked at my college's security office. Um, and then as a research assistant, I always had a job. Um, after college, I, I always had several jobs in college, actually. I, I, um, yeah, now that I think of it, I did a lot of weird things. Then I, then I worked, I was a teacher in Manhattan and after I graduated from college, then I moved to China and taught English and then opened a punk bar and worked as a bartender. Um, when I moved back to the States, I got a job in publishing, working in production, um, basically filling out forms and um, chasing edit- editors down in this um, pretty fun company called Overlook. And then I got a job working for... Overlook Press. Overlook Press. Yeah. And then I got a job working as the assistant for a, um, an oral historian named Gene Stein, who's since passed away. Um, and then I went to graduate school. And while I was in graduate school, I supported myself by dealing vintage clothing. Um, and then I moved to California and could not get a job for a year Um and it was actually, ironically, it was when I couldn't find a job um, that I decided that I was going to try to support myself as a writer. 
I mean, I think the universe was just conspiring for in, in a certain direction, like do not get a job and get sucked into a nine to five thing that's going to exhaust you and, and suck your soul out. Because I really, my heart, I've always wanted to write. I mean, I've always written. I just hadn't had, um, there hadn't been this moment where I'm like, oh, I need to make money somehow with this i had always really separated money from art and it took this year of being like barely able to pay rent um to be somehow like okay this is actually worth it uh, to be this poor if it means that i'm free to do what i want with myself creatively and and then it was like well what would happen if i wrote a novel and tried to sell it and that's how Eileen happened. Was, was did you sort of distinguish between short story writing and novel writing in your mind, or it was all kind of the same? At the time, back then, I thought they were so different. I mean, my feelings about short stories and and novels are, and their relationship has changed since I've written three uh, novels and and finished my collection. But at the time, I thought the novel was like. It was a totally foreign object to me. I had no idea how it worked and um, had never aspired to be a novelist before. So it was new. So when Eileen came out, it was extremely well-received and uh, got nominated for all these prizes and so on. And, but some people also criticized it, I guess, for, for various reasons. I read an interview with you where someone said, quote, some of the criticism of your last novel, Eileen, revolved around how shocking it was. Uh, why do you why do you think people find her Eileen the main character shocking? And you said because they're brainwashed morons. <laughs> and what was it that you? I mean, for, you can tell people a little bit what the book is about. But what, why do you think some people found it so shocking? And what what disturbed you about some of the response to the book? Well, I don't think everyone is a brain. I don't. I think that we are all brainwashed morons. Maybe some of us more than others. But the people who came, the the, the critic, the criticism of Eileen, or the like, how it made people, and maybe the for for my like most people out there, they think I'm exaggerating when I say this. But people were really upset that Eileen was talking about her body in this way where it was like really gross to them it really disagreed with their sensibilities um and i had to defend myself i mean obviously that kind of person isn't going to be rude about it they're going to say things like so how did you come up with this disgusting character you know i really found her just despicable you know and, and 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 it's a wonderful book but eileen is just you know awful awful so unlikable and it, and and it really was like so obvious that it was just a, a response i mean she's in she's there's nothing wrong with her she's just the the difference between eileen and anyone else is that eileen is the one narrating a book about her life and she has these like um very pubescent obsessions that we've all had and are just too embarrassed to ever admit. So um, I can't remember what your original question was, but... Well, I I guess what I was trying to get at or when you talked about people being brainwashed morons was that it seemed like some of the criticism of the book to me 
now going back and having read the book and then having read some of the criticism was that people were uncomfortable with the fact that there was a young woman writer, you, writing this character about a female protagonist who, in some ways, they found gross. And so why would, as you kind of said, why would you write why would you write a female character like this? Why is she so gross? And it did feel that there was somewhat of a gendered reaction if I think that if a male writer had written about a gross male character it would not have been the same. Hmm. That was my reading, but you might disagree. I don't know. I mean, there, it just occurs to me now. I mean, I'm also like kind of naive because I'm not a, a part of this like social media political bandwagon, like neoliberal fascist stuff where like all we do is police each other. So I don't really understand how that works. But what you're saying makes me think that people were upset at me for not having a more righteous heroine. And maybe that it reflected poorly on women in general, which is totally ridiculous. Like, I completely reject that reading. Um, But you guys can think whatever you want. I mean, it's like... (sighs) It's it, it's so it's so silly, this idea that art is supposed to be like a substitution for the, the value system that your parents are supposed to teach you. That somehow entertainment and media, you know why? It's because people started using television to babysit their children. This is why this problem is happening. So suddenly, okay, so television is is raising our kids right now. And now it's like television and your phone, right? And instead of people actually talking to one another about what they feel is right, and what is like a, a good role model for their kids, they're like, oh, no, these are things that the media is responsible for. When the media are the last people who should be responsible for anyone's ideals. I don't know when it happened, but probably in the last 20 or 30 years, art and entertainment became so conflated that we can't separate the two. So now art is being laden with this burden of having to always represent characters in a way that's going to like support whatever socio-political ideal is in fashion at the moment. And, you know... I'm all for people like evolving, but I just I think that if we start putting that kind of pressure on art, we we we're, we turn into we 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 turn ourselves into robots with no imagination and and no freedom. So get over it. Art is becoming more politicized because people are doing things for attention on the internet. You're not on social media, I'm gathering, from uh, this conversation? Well, I look at it sometimes, but I'm not a participant. I mean, you can tell this makes me, like, a kind of pissy. Like, well, that ta- makes talking, for a good podcast. Talking about all this stuff. I mean, art... Art... art it, politics... The way that we we use the word politics right now is is really murky. Because what politics are, what, 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 okay, what do you think politics are? What do I think they are? What do you yeah. think they should be? No. What does the word mean? 
you know, uh, it's too all-encompassing. It's everything in our society. It's all the divisions in our society. It's the president. I don't know. It's I don't have a right. I can't give a quick definition of it. But but so art that's political isn't just about the president, right? I uh, I agree. It so politics has just become a synonym for opinion. It's like, oh, this is my opinion. This is this is my 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 opinion of of the right or wrong of society is what politics are. How just we need a different word for how we talk about that rubric in art, because art is not a teaching tool. Art is a separate experience. I mean, why did it's like look at Nirvana? You think Nirvana was trying to be you think Kurt Cobain was sitting there sketching out his own politics? That's not the root of his inspiration. He things became political because there was a dialogue about the music. Yeah, Am I, I mean, wrong? I, think, I mean, I could no, be No, I think wrong. you're right. I, I mean, just, I think that there are probably writers who writers or uh, singers who felt differently, but I think broadly speaking, that's true of artists. I think I, I think there are exceptions, but I think I think writers have written things thinking that it will cause social change of some sort, or you know, um, Bob Dylan or seeing songs as a certain form of protest. But but broadly speaking, I, I agree. Art is protest. You don't you don't against? even against reality. So good but but protest and activism are very different like i'm not working for a cause i'm just working to change your consciousness for the moment that you're reading my story um speaking of your story i wanted to read a, a short thing from your uh, latest book just to give people a little bit of a little sense of it i um i sketched it lightly in the intro and um this is uh, what you say at uh, at one point in the book I set up a weekly pickup with the laundromat and automatic payments on all my utilities, bought a wide selection of used VHS tapes from the Jewish Women's Council thrift shop on 2nd Avenue, and soon I was hitting the pills hard and sleeping all day and all night with two or three hour breaks in between. This was good, I thought. I was finally doing something that really mattered. Sleep felt productive. Something was getting sorted out. I knew in my heart, this was perhaps the only thing my heart knew back then, that when I'd slept enough, I'd be okay. I'd be renewed, reborn. I would be a whole new person. Every one of my cells regenerated enough times that the old cells were just distant, foggy memories. My past life would be but a dream, and I could start over without regrets, bolstered by the bliss and serenity that I would have accumulated in my year of rest and relaxation. Um, so can you just tell people a little bit more about the, the plot of the book, and then I have a couple couple questions for you about it. Well, it's about a woman who has this theory that if she sleeps for a year, she will feel better and wake up a new person and have a totally different perspective on the world. And she tries to do that using copious amounts of prescription pills, which she gets from her great psychiatrist and um, sets off on this mission uh, is quite often interrupted by her best and only friend slash frenemy, uh, a woman named Riva, and an occasional blackout visit from her ex-boyfriend. Um, and then things kind of get a little intense, and she requires m more in order to stay s asleep. Um, so I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to give too much, but that, that's the premise. 
did this idea come to you kind of all at once or all in stages going back a long time? How, it's an it's a intriguing premise. How did you come up with it? Uh, it was, I had the character first. I mean, this really unhappy, spoiled young woman who I liked. Like, I, I liked her judgmentalness and her superiority. It was fun to occupy her, her mind space. Um, and uh, what she kept telling me was that she just wanted out. She just did not want to participate in the bullshit. So the premise kind of revealed itself through her character. One thing that uh, going back and kind of reading most of your stuff prior to this interview, um, it seemed like one of the things that occupies you is kind of human physicality. You talked about kind of the descriptions of Eileen that you wrote. And this book is kind of full of thinking about people as kind of their physical form and what they're doing at a specific time, whether it's sleeping or what actions they're taking. And I, I was just wondering if that's something that you're sort of conscious of the way you think about pe human beings, or if that's just kind of one of the themes that happens to arise in your work. Am I conscious of people's physicality? Hmm. <laughs> well, no, you write about it, though, in a way that I think a lot of writers don't. You're, you seem interested in your character's physicality in a way your protagonist's physicality. Right, right. but you're asking me if I, that happens in my daily life. <laughs> no, no, that, that's not what I... So that was a poorly phrased question, which I will uh, which I will rephrase. I was saying, as a writer, does uh -huh. talking about this particularly interest you? Oh, like, uh, no, not really, because I think it makes people, when you're sitting in a small room with them, really uncomfortable if I'm like, let's talk about your face, you know? <laughs> like. <laughs> well, the audience can't well, see my face, so if you want to give any thoughts, feel free to uh, I don't think make I, any jokes. Yeah. Uh, no, there's no, you're absolutely lovely looking oh, man. Thank you. Um, thank you. There would be nothing that I could say about you that would be remotely interesting other than you're absolutely gorgeous. But um, Thank you. My mother's going to be happy to hear that. <laughs> but but it, as a writer, that doesn't give you particular—it's not something that interests you particularly. Um, Characters, physicality, and— No, 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 it, it is. And I think it, it interests—I'm interested in physicality and fiction because a writing is a, a very abstract art. Like, I, I don't have a picture to show you. I have to write it, you know? But in, but in the description of somebody, I can get really weird and particular. So I will do that so that they, that character feels really real to you. Yeah, I, I read a quote from you. You were talking about uh, your time in China, which you mentioned. And you said, uh, quote, it was 120 degrees every day and I had lost all my connections and I felt like I was just wasting my life dying. At some point, I stumbled on a picture of a dead person on the Internet and I had an adrenaline rush. It made me feel that life was deeply valuable and also there was an excitement about seeing something so private, sort of death porn. And then you sort of went on to start Googling images of dead people every day, you say. And you say, I just got into the habit. It gave me energy. Mm -hmm. I somehow connected that to kind of the way you describe, like, bodies in your fiction. But maybe, mm. maybe there isn't one. I don't know. I think so. I mean, I think we, we can – it's really easy for me to just live in my head and disconnect from physical reality. And when I disconnect from the, the physical, what I'm doing is denying the fact that I'm going to die one day. So if I go working backwards, if I remind myself in my mind that I'm going to die one day, it's going to sort of reconnect me to my physical embodiment and the physical world around me. And I get to be more present. I read an interview with you where you said, quote, a lot of decisions a writer makes are instinctual. Mm -hmm. When you kind of look back on your writing career, do you feel that your instincts have changed in some way as you've gotten older? Mm, yeah. I think my, I, my, I think... 
what writers do is they're, they're constantly developing their instincts as writers. And, you know, it, it, there, there's something kind of like uh, that makes me grimace when I notice a pattern I'm like, oh, I'm still doing that thing. Like, I really, like, that's still my instinct. Um, and I will try to effort my way into growing through something. Um, but I, I also think there are a lot of aspects of my writing that are just always going to be there, probably. I mean, unless I, like, just did a lot of ayahuasca. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, what would be an example of like some trend or something that you notice and you say like oh I'm still doing that like oh uh, like like I, I'm I'm doing research for a new novel and um, I had taken a year off after I wrote my year of rest and relaxation I, I didn't I didn't want to write another novel for a year and um, as I was like you know re- retrieving the bits of inspiration the universe was sending me it was like thinking reflecting i it seems like the things that i write have an impact on my life and i've been writing pretty dark stuff so maybe i should try to be intentional this time and write something about a good thing happening to someone so i was like okay i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that this is this next book which i have yet to write you know is going to be um you know some it's going to be the a new horizon for me, and it's going to reflect back in a positive way. And then I, you know, I start to do research, and I'm I'm just following the breadcrumbs for this the the story, and I'm totally back where I started. Like this is another dark story <laughs> about someone doing dark shit that is like it really titillates me to think about and. I'm really curious where this is this is going to go. But what I think got answered by like my um, sort of prayer for something new is a different level uh, um, in the fiction, which I'm hoping is a level of more sincerity. So I'm trying. I think if I'm if I want to develop a new instinct, it's an instinct maybe not to resort immediately to satire. Is sincerity kind of similar to realism the way you talked about it, or is it something else? Um, it's something else. It's an attitude. Like, I, I, I'm not that interested in realism and fiction um, the way that you would say, like, some fiction is pretending to be nonfiction. You know, like, I'm not interested in pretending to be nonfiction, but I am interested in um, making things believable and tactile, even if the reality of the fiction isn't exactly the reality that we're familiar with. Um Wait, what did you just ask me? I just asked if sincerity was similar oh, to realism, but yeah. So, sin- so sincerity, I think, is more tonal, it, and it sincerity for me is something that lives in the space between me as the author and the narrator as a character. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but there's a relationship there, and if 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 I approach my narrator um, with more with Maybe with reverence, I think the tone, the tonality of whatever, even if it, it's not something that you can even see in in the words, if you analyze them, it will be really hard to parse out the difference. But that there's an attitude that is maybe less um, comedic. 
Yeah, I, I heard you say another time that you don't love doing just about this this sort of same stuff that you don't love doing research for. You don't love doing research to kind of um, make a certain scene or something exactly historically accurate or whatever that that doesn't interest you so much as a writer. Oh well, I'm not so interested in historical accuracy because I think if I were to write a quote-unquote like traditional historical novel it would kind of trap me away from my more imaginative instincts I don't I'm not trying to be sloppy I mean that's not my I'm not trying to be sloppy like when I when I uh, researched McGlue I was completely obsessive um, which is a, a story that takes place in 1851 um, and it would have been really easy to be like, eh, I think it's just kind of like this, but that that's not what I meant when I when I told that journalist that I'm not that interested in historical accuracy. What I meant is I'm in, in more interested in historical ambiance. And like I don't need to tell you um, the precise historical events as they were recorded in history in order to invoke, you know. Victorian San Francisco. Um, speaking of San Francisco, where we're very close to, you seem to be, I mean, this isn't actually true, but you seem like one of the few writers, novelists of our generation, because um, we're the same age, um, not that I'm a novelist, who lives in California rather than New York. Do you think that, do you think that's affected your writing in some way? And um, do you ever miss being in New York where it seems like so many writers want to congregate? I think it's I think it's freed me up a lot to not be in New York and I I like living in California. It still feels like a different country to me. Um I really like my friends here and um have California is starting to feel more like home. I mean Southern California. And um uh, I have some family that just moved out there too, so that makes it even more like home. I think it's New York City is I I do miss New York, but I don't want to live there now. Um there's New York is a place that feels so competitive to me. Like everyone that I know is trying to do the same thing and struggling in this way that 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 makes writing seem more like um a series of accomplishments and you know, good liners at cocktail parties than an actual art form that you do alone at home. Like New York has this, I don't know, I think it's because that's where the book industry is. People get confused. Like I get confused when I'm there. Like I'm like, oh, it's just a bunch of cocktail parties that's what <laughs> like writing is like oh it's like an awards thing and then running into somebody at a coffee shop although when we started you did say didn't didn't you that that you were more comfortable with kind of seeing your writing as both a passion and a career well it became a career a career because i did not want to have to go back to all of those jobs that i listed for you i didn't want to have to do that if i could make a little bit of money writing a novel, I was going to do it. I mean, I don't think that makes me a hypocrite. I don't want to be homeless. I was not saying you were a hypocrite. Um, 
But what does that have to do with New York being full of like, Oh, I just posers. thought you were drawing a connection. Well, nothing, but sort of. But I, I was just drawing a connection between sort of thinking about writing as both something that pays the bills and a passion with with sort of people, novelists congregating in New York and working there, but also spending their time with industry people and publishers and cocktail parties. That right. was the connection in my head. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, the, you go. The, I, I don't know. I don't actually go to cocktail parties, but... It seems like seems like that's something that people do. Um, Apparently, yeah, I don't get invited to that. Uh, <laughs> Otessa Moshfag is the author of My Year of Rest and Relaxation, which is available now at bookstores everywhere and on all the websites you can buy books from. Otessa, thank you so much for uh, doing this and for coming into the studio. That's it? It was. Uh, we talked for over a half hour. What do you mean? <laughs> 35 minutes we talked for. Okay. Is that not long enough? I don't know. It went by really fast. Oh, well, that's, that's a good thing. Um, so thank you for being here. Yeah, th- no, thank you. This was fun. And that's our show for today. I Have to Ask is produced by Max Jacobs. If you have an idea for a guest or you just want to let me know your thoughts, email me at ask at slate.com. That's A-S-K at slate.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at iChot. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>